Hi, Jasmine Lopez here. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and click on the big donate button. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks, and here's the show. This week on Making Contact. So you remember before uh, the Voting Rights Act? All of us do. Do you remember when uh, uh, African Americans were blocked from voting? Oh yeah, from a lot of things I remember. Yeah. Couldn't even go to the movie theater. Went on top. <laughs> Couldn't use the toilet. Nothing. Popcorn on. They had colored popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> so is it different now? Popcorn yeah, well, for yes, yeah, we've come a long way. <laughs> not not long enough. Right, not long enough. So. Do you think that the that the state's happy to see you voting today? No. Not really. <laughs> Not the Republicans. Uh-huh. They're trying to, try to squash your vote as it is. Uh-huh. That's the reason why we're here now. And it is what it is. Now you have to have identification to vote. You know that. Right. Yeah. Before you didn't have to. Have Everyone have their ID with them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is it's, that the law you have to have? Yes. Yes. I got mine. In Georgia. Yeah. In Georgia. Yes. Other states you don't. This is what the ID looks like. Oh, can I see that? Can it took me months to get it. Took you months to get the voter ID? Yes. And it's flimsy. So are voter identification cards a revised version of poll tax? And according to filmmaker Greg Palace, the history of the voting rights struggle is far from over. On this edition, we'll hear excerpts from Greg Palace's work and ask... Why is there a plot by some of America's billionaires to prevent minority communities from exercising their constitutional right to vote? I'm Anita Johnson, and this is Making Contact. Greg Palace's new film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, A Tale of Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, looks at systematic efforts by some of America's wealthiest to disenfranchise millions of voters come this 2016 election. Let's listen to a clip from the film. Think you're registered? This election, over three million of you will find your registration go poof. They toss out your mail-in ballot because you've used the wrong envelope for postage due, forgot to add your middle initial, fly poop on the ballot, or you didn't fill in the bubble. There's purging, caging, or you have the wrong ID. In Texas, hands up. Gun ID, okay. School ID, not okay. In some states, up to 45% of new registrations are simply tossed in the spoilage bin. Don't worry, they'll tell you. If your name's missing from the voter roll, you get something called a provisional ballot. But because your name's not on the rolls, they throw it out. But you get to pretend you voted. Then there's good old ballot stuffing. That was Greg Palace running down all the many ways billionaire bandits are working to block minority voters from the polls. I sat down recently with him for a conversation about voter disenfranchisement, the illusion of democracy, and the possibility of a Trump presidency. Thank you, Greg Palace, for coming on to Making Contact. Your new film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, looks at the many ways the most wealthiest are attempting to disenfranchise voters of color. And with a presidential election just around the corner, you'd think that voter suppression would be high on the list of newsworthy topics. But a lot of media outlets have opted for other 2016 election coverage. 
Greg, talk a bit about your film in connection to the lack of press devoted to addressing the issue of voter disenfranchisement, especially after we all know this now, but especially after the story broke of George W. Bush stealing the 2000 presidential election by illegally disenfranchising tens of thousands of black voters in Florida. And might I add, this is a story that you broke first. Here's, here's where it begins. Actually, let's start right there. Back in 2000, I was working for, uh, in London with, for the Guardian newspapers and for BBC television. And I discovered that tens of thousands of black men, uh, especially were removed from the voter rolls of Florida, 56,000 of them just before the 2000 race. Now, George Bush allegedly won that the presidency of the United States by just 537 votes, not counting 56,000 votes of black folk. Now, those people were accused of being felons, you know, father rapers and mother stabbers not allowed to vote. In fact, their only crime was voting while black. Every single one on that list. Now, I uncovered it. I uncovered the list. I uncovered the steal. It was the very top of the news. You can't say it wasn't covered. It was the top of the television, every television station and every newspaper in the world, except for some of the Pacifica stations, which kind of allowed me through the electronic Berlin Wall, it wasn't covered. Now, once again, now I just did this new report investigation for my film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, and, and it was in Roll- I put it in Rolling Stone there, that the GOP and the billionaires are stealing one million votes by removing uh, voters of color again from the voter rolls. It's a new trick. It's not calling them criminals or felons. Well, they're saying that they are voting twice. And I kid you not, that's exactly what they're saying. And if you now I won't say it's not covered because National Petroleum Radio and CBS News both ran stories praising this system of finding double voters to making sure that people (laughs) who vote twice, that people don't get to vote twice. They literally praise this program called Crosscheck on CBS and NPR without any of the reporters saying, can we see the list of these double voters of these ne'er-do-wells? I'm the only American reporter who even requested the list. And I was turned down flat, by the way. They said, well, you know, these, you know, if you do vote twice, it's a federal crime. You go to prison for five years. Now, I said, well, then, you know, who have you arrested? No one. They said, I said, why? Because it's hard to find these double voters. I said, why? They're registered. You have their addresses. Most states get their phone numbers and emails, too. What do you mean you, you can't find them? I said, give me the list. So they wouldn't give me the list. So for those of you who know me, Greg Pallast, I'm an invest. I'm an old-fashioned investigative reporter. I go after this stuff when they say it's confidential. It's the first thing I go for. And sure enough, it took my team five months, but we got the list of the millions. There are seven million names on this suspect list, seven million names on the suspect list of double voters. I have those names from 30 Republican states. And they're knocking these people off the voter rolls as we speak by on November 8th, uh, a week from Tuesday. You're going to see one million people are going to show up at the voting stations and their names will be missing. And they won't even know why because they don't even tell you why. Just all you know is your name's missing or you're marked inactive, whatever that means. You lose your vote. Well, yeah, losing your vote might be one way to look at it. Another way would be to really call this for what it is. This is a form of ethnically cleansing the voter rolls of at least 29 states. Uh, Something that we really haven't discussed, though, is 
the Voting Rights Act. And this year marks the first presidential election in 50 years without a functioning Voting Rights Act. Um, based on everything that you've said thus far in our conversation today, talk a bit about how the absence of this important legislative uh, protection has created a pathway that will suppress the voting rights of millions of people of color this year. Well, it's removing the police. The Voting Rights Act was won by uh, Martin Luther King and 30,000 marchers who went over the Pettus Bridge in Selma, and by the time they got to Montgomery, four people had been murdered. But what we did win was uh, the right to vote in America, no matter your skin color. It was that simple. And then two years ago, the Supreme Court said, literally, and this is in the film, the Supreme Court said uh, discrimination, racial discrimination in uh, voting is eradicated. It's gone. It doesn't exist. Mm. It's gone. Jim Crow is dead. Really? So then what happens is, as soon as they eliminated the cops on the street, the, the Justice Department the scrutiny of uh, voting law changes, within two hours, I don't mean two months or two years, I mean two hours, dozens of states changed their law to make it far more difficult for black folk and Latinos to vote. And we show this to Phil. For example, I go down to, to Georgia, and they two hours after the Voting Rights Act was wiped out, they required everyone to have a photo, voter ID, or driver's license from the DMV. And then the next day, they closed every DMV in the 10 black belt counties of Alabama. So people without cars have to somehow go long distances to uh, sign up uh, and get their uh, voter ID. So they deliberately actually closed the DMVs just so poor folk... Remember, it's not just black folk and Latinos, though they're the, the, the vulnerable targets. They include poor white people who now have started to uh, um, get a little bit uppity, too. And Asian Americans have been a big target of this stuff. So what's happening is without the, the federal law to protect you, and the Justice Department is removing their observers from Alabama, from Georgia, uh, from Maryland and Washington, D.C., and all these states where, and all these places where there's massive racial discrimination. In voting, and it's gotten worse, and they're removing the uh, their monitors, and they're uh, removing their checks. So we have this in the film now. Of course, we take all this very grim stuff and make it as funny as we can make it, because it's so grim that you have to laugh. Otherwise, you you couldn't sit through an hour and a half of total grim. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't make it. So we have cartoons. We have Richard Belzer. We have Rosario Dawson, Shailene Woodley. We even have Santa Claus. That that's Ed Asner in a Santa suit. There is no Santa Claus. But that's about you know. I do this so that you won't forget it. You may laugh about it, but you'll laugh until you feel sick. You're listening to Making Contact. I'm Anita Johnson. We'll hear more from Greg Palace in just a moment. Because of generous support from listeners like yourself, this show is distributed free to radio stations in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. To find out how to donate, download our shows, or get a podcast, go to radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. Now back to my conversation with investigative reporter Greg Palace. Do you see the legacy of Reagan opposition to the Voting Rights Act 
being key and still defining our politics today. And the reason why I ask this question is because, you know, Ronald mm -hmm. Reagan in the 80s called the VRA humiliating to the South, quote, and he also popularized the phrase state rights, something that many states, mostly Republican controlled, have echoed. And now with the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, have accelerated efforts to disenfranchise low income minority voters, as you've shown in the film. Well, I got to tell you, um, yes, actually, that was that phrase, by the way, that it's humiliating and kind of picking on the South uh, was was actually repeated by the by the uh, the five uh, right wing justices of the Supreme Court. They picked up Reagan's line. But, you know, what's humiliating before the world is when I do these reports for BBC and they see that black people can't vote, that it's still apartheid in America uh, voting booths and it's gotten worse because of the end of the VRA. This will be the first, as you say, the first presidential election without those basic protections. And that's what's humiliating. When I'm I'm doing reports now, I was just on uh, uh, primetime German TV, and, and they were saying, you know, you have to understand American voting is nothing close to that we in, in Europe think of as democracy. People simply are blocked from voting under the slightest pretext, and not just any people. It's always voters of color, and it's always that way. In fact... In the United States, our, the Federal Election Commission says that 3 million votes are actually thrown in the garbage every year. They call it spoilage. They say the technical reason that can't be counted, a hanging chad or something. If you're black, the chance your chad will be hung, the chance your vote won't count for some technical reason, is 900% higher than if you're white. That's the official figure, 900% higher than if you're white. By the way, and if you're an American native, forget about it, 2,000% greater chance that your vote will be discarded than uh, a white voter's ballot. So let's right now take another break and listen to another clip from the film. Uh, this particular one is you meeting with some of Paul Singer's victims in Detroit, in particular Mr. and Mrs. Pratt. Can you set this one up for us? Yes. Remember, the, the film is called The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, A Tale of Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, because billionaires are behind all this vote thieving. It's not about Republicans versus Democrat. It's about them and us. Billionaires get something by doing this, which is a Congress that's pliant to them or a White House. And um, so I, I want you to meet the, the billionaires, but I want you to meet their victims. Now, the Pratt family, they're just a typical family in uh, Detroit. Uh, the uh, Mr. Pratt works, Robert Pratt works for... Um, uh, has a UAW job, one of the last auto workers' jobs, actually in a casino. And his wife, because the city collapsed after the auto industry left, um, his wife lost her job with the city. So their home went into foreclosure. And, um, you know, and, and the question is, who's doing this to him? So not only when his home went into the foreclosure, I find out that the GOP, that Republican operatives, actually got the foreclosure notice and challenged his right to vote because they said, well, his address isn't valid. He can't vote. His address isn't valid, believe it or not. That's a trick they use. Lose your home, lose your vote. You have to understand that losing your vote goes along with losing your power to protect yourself. So what I say in the film is you can't, if they're going to take away your home and they're going to take away your job, they better take away your vote. And so they also, these are the guys who fund these vote-thieving systems. I met some of the victims in Detroit. The city's streets had already been bank-bombed 
Houses foreclosed and emptied, their windows smashed out, weeds belly high. It looked like the city had been punched in the face. Its teeth knocked out. This house here is vacant. This house is vacant. Then you look across the street over there. This is Mr. and Mrs. Pratt. They're going to lose their home, too. Robert Pratt's an auto worker, but his wife lost her job at the city of Detroit, and they couldn't make the payments on some predatory mortgage. This is my son. This is my son here. This is Robert. That's the one who got shot in the backyard. That's my 12-year-old. That was my boy. Like I told my wife, I go to work every day. I'm a maintenance man. I have a shop. I go in the maintenance shop, and I close the door, and that's when I cry. That's when I cry, you know, because some, when I'm out around people, I try to stay strong and keep my eyes open and everything, but the pain runs so deep when you have to wake up every day wondering, is they going to try to take my house away? I mean, what's next? Here's what's next. We snuck into Republican Party headquarters to investigate evidence the GOP was challenging the right of voters like Pratt, who are facing foreclosure, on grounds their homes are no longer valid addresses. Lose your home, lose your vote. Now I'm, I have to wake up and I'm like, man, they're trying to take my right to vote away? I mean, come on, how much, how much how low can you go? Listening to that and understanding the extent of which they've gone to disenfranchise people, it's absolutely deplorable. Yet it brings me to another relevant point explored in the film, these billionaire bandits. You highlight three, Paul Singer, um, J.P. or J. Alfred Paulson, and then uh, the Koch brothers. Uh, and you explore their connection to Donald Trump and why they're backing him financially, which is really key. But for our listeners, can you explain the motivations uh, behind their efforts to block democracy as it pertains to a Donald Trump presidency? Well, for example, J.P. gets $1,000 every time someone loses their home. He made $5 billion in one year, more than anyone since the pharaoh. And he wanted two things. He needs two things from a president. Number one, he needs to stay out of prison because, like I say, his co-conspirators all were charged with fraud. He used his money and influence to make sure he wasn't charged at all. In fact, he got a tax break, and it's called carried interest is, is the name of his special loophole. Now, interestingly, Donald Trump said, I'm going to close that loophole. That's just for, like, creepy speculators who don't, you know, who don't provide any jobs. At least I make casinos and people, you know, work in the casinos. These guys are just ripping off billions of dollars, and then we give them a tax break for it. You know, why? Actually, so Trump was like, whoa, that's pretty uh that's pretty progressive and populist to come out against carried interest of course he was following the footsteps of bernie sanders then even hillary jumped in and said oh i'll get rid of that loophole too but then john paulson jp the foreclosure king the target of trump's wrath suddenly becomes his number one donor and dig this his number one economic advisor mm. and suddenly trump says yeah i'm closing that loophole but i'm opening up another one so the first loophole cut J.P.'s taxes by $1 billion in a single year, saved $1 billion in a single year. So that loophole is going to be closed if Trump becomes president, but then he's opening up another one that will give J.P. 
$2 billion a year. There's actually a war at the top. Most people aren't aware of this. There's a huge war between, uh, between various billionaires and giant corporations. So, for example, I show in the film one billionaire, the guy who's the number one donor to the Republican Party, is known as, he goes by the name The Vulture. I didn't give him that name. I mean, and you don't get the name The Vulture by your kind business practices. He's made his billions, and we show it in the film. We go to the Congo where he's made his mm. money by literally taking the money that was meant to end a cholera epidemic in the Congo. I go to, I follow this guy around the world. He, he, he eats Detroit alive. He sucks money out of the um, uh, auto bailout fund. He bought the, the GM auto parts operation and sent every single job, every union job, everyone to China. And he's the number one donor to the Republican Party. And that's why, you know, we try to uh, knock, that's why we expose him. However, in the film, we say, well, Hillary Clinton does confront him and tries to put him out of business. And I say, oh, well, she's doing the right thing. Well, not exactly. She's doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason, which is that she was asked to do that, to take on the vulture by Goldman Sachs, uh, United Bank of Switzerland, Citibank, and uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Those characters, the big giant banks, don't like the vulture either because he's screwing up their deals that they have with third world nations. Remember, these guys are making billions off of Argentina which had defaulted years ago, but people don't realize Argentina was paying back in big time. These banks are making billions out of Argentina, and now the vulture swoops in and says, literally, it's all mine, all of it. I want all of it. And, um, you know, he uses some financial trickery, and suddenly the banks are saying, this guy is killing the the golden goose. Uh, He's going to destroy Argentina. We'll never get another dime out of Argentina. He he even sued those banks to, to stop and said, any money Argentina gives you is mine. So, yeah, Hillary Clinton went after the vulture because the big banks told her to. Mm. I mean, the the Argentine embassy actually contacted me, figuring I knew something, and I did. Uh, They said, why is Hillary supporting us? She hates us. We're a left-wing government. She hates us. I said, yeah, but the big banks told her to go in and, and help you out because they need to pluck the vulture. So... There's a big battle at the very, very, very top of our finance structure. And the Republican and Democratic parties are basically representing, you know, know, it's the Sharks versus the Jets. And the the GOP is basically representing these monster hedge fund vultures, whereas the big banks are now um, totally Democratic. Mm. Greg, how do you see the mechanisms of structural and institutional racism giving way to scores of people, predominantly white Americans, disengagement around the issue of voter disenfranchisement. Why don't white Americans, and let's, you know, um, my fellow white folk guys out there, why isn't there a hue and cry about this massive attack on this new apartheid? And why are we running around? Why are the liberals in the New York Times running around saying our system is the, is the gold standard of the world, the envy of the world? As opposed to saying it is a mess and that's a deliberate attack by billionaires who want control of the Congress. Now, why aren't white folk upset about this? Because they like to think their votes count. They like to think that America is a wonderful place. And how dare you say it's anything but wonderful because it's wonderful for them and they don't understand why anyone would be bitching. 
you know, Democrats and, and liberal whites think, yeah, gee, what a shame. It's not a life and death issue, and they'd rather maintain the myth that everything is wonderful and Trump says it isn't, and that's the problem, that Trump is complaining that the system is fixed. But it is fixed. That's one thing he's right about, but he's part of the fixing. He's one of the fixers. As we begin to wrap up this conversation, though, and, and Greg, mm-hmm. I just really want to thank you so much for taking the time. You're very welcome. Um, there are parts of the film that invoked anger, shame, and disbelief for me personally. Uh, towards yeah. the end, you offer a couple solutions to addressing the issue of voter disenfranchisement. One being education, 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 and the other action possibly in the form of protest similar to how black folks fought to get the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965. Yeah, do, it was it was bloody and it was difficult. Yeah. But do you it see was that marching being, and yeah. yeah but, we but have you, to do it again. Yeah, but do you see that being possible to have the Voting Rights Act restored with a Republican majority and a GOP Senate blocking potential Supreme Court nominees. Do you see that happening? No, I don't see it. No, that because they they have to keep they can't have a law which protects voters because if you let everyone vote, do the math, nine, the 99% versus the 1%. You can fool some of the 99%. You can fool some of the, the rednecks and say and let them wave their Confederate flags and, you know, and then, but that's just not, there's just aren't not enough white guys to elect either Donald Trump or a, uh, a Republican Senate. There just aren't. So um, they have to make sure that rights are destroyed. And the only way to do that is to keep the Supreme Court, move the Supreme Court to the right. And that means control of the United States Senate. You can, it doesn't matter who's president. You can't get anyone on the Supreme Court without the approval of the U.S. Senate. And they are stealing it in front of our eyes. And we don't have, I mean, Hillary's people literally will not acknowledge that there's massive theft of the African-American vote um, you know, they don't like someone saying America is not the great democracy that we pretend to be in front of the world. And so the white liberals, especially the richer ones, are, are quite offended mm-hmm. by uh, the, reminding them that, that this is a busted uh, Jim Crow system. We're back to it. But there's things we can do. King and, and, and uh, uh, John Lewis and the rest of the, of the militants. And let's not forget, it's all softened now, but these people were really militant for that time, very militant. And uh, they insisted on confronting America, going to the streets and confronting America with its, with its racism until it was so humiliating before the world and so destructive economically to America that they said that they had to relent. We have to bring back that militant sense of demanding our rights. And But it also requires, when you say education, you have to know how they're stealing it. That's why I made it into a film. I, you know, there is the book, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, A Tale of Billionaires and Ballot Ban. It's worth reading because it gives you more information than I can put on a screen. But I wanted to make sure that we had a film that would give you images and feelings you're not going to forget. And that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Based on everything you just said, what's the likelihood mm-hmm. of a Donald Trump beating a Hillary Clinton? Well, he's got a big boost. If they remove a million voters as so-called double voters, they remove um, five million more votes under all kinds of other cockamamie pretexts. Um, He stands a chance. I am more fearful that the GOP, and again, I'm not partisan, but these are the facts, ma'am. I think the GOP is going to steal the United States Senate in 
Illinois, Ohio, North Carolina, and Arizona, if they do that, and they've got these tricks to use, and in Florida, where they're accusing Puerto Ricanos of um, being illegal aliens. If you're a Puerto Rican and you come to the United States, you are a citizen and you can vote, but they're blocking them anyway. And this is, you know, uh, so I, I predict a, a theft of the Senate. But I'm putting my, I'm putting, sadly, I'm putting my money on that. And that's it for this edition of Making Contact. You've been listening to a conversation with Greg Palace, the director of the film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, a tale of billionaires and ballot bandits. Check out Making Contact's website, radioproject.org, to get a podcast, download past shows, or make a difference by supporting our work. Like Making Contact on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. The Making Contact team includes Lisa Rudman, Marie Che, RJ Lozado, Monica Lopez, Sabine Blazin, Vera Tyskuller, and Quan Booth. I'm Anita Johnson. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.